Hello everybody and welcome back once again to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host Parker. And I'm Ray and we welcome you to episode 14 where today we're going to be discussing Astronomy Part 2. I think we spoke about this in a previous video where we really wanted to do this and here we are. Yeah, we're doing it pretty early on. Like we didn't, we made like one episode in between part one and part two mm -hmm. because part one was actually really popular, you know, relatively popular. Um, it got a lot of views in like the first week. So I was like, yeah, might as well just do another one because it's a lot of fun. Exactly. And astronomy is just cool. You know, it's just, it's just really cool to think about <laughs> size of the universe and stuff like that. You know? Yeah. One thing you can actually do is walk outside and look up like during the day or at night doesn't matter but if you just look up just know that it goes on forever <laughs> <laughs> literally forever. it just doesn't end and that'll that'll trip you up for a couple of seconds it's it's really cool to think about you know that really interesting fact and i i think we mentioned this in the last video not sure if we did but i do want to mention it again because it's really cool when we say you know stars are like millions of light years away that means I mean, most people know this. I'm just going to repeat it. That means the light from that star, the light that we are seeing today, is from millions of years ago. That means the light left that star millions of years ago. So technically, today, the star that we are seeing could be completely blown up for all we know, but it'll take millions of years to reach us. And I think that concept about the universe is really cool. Yeah, and that's because of the speed of uh, causality, which we talked about in our constants mm -hmm. episode, and how like the information that comes in the form of photons can only travel at a certain speed. So yep. if you're millions of light years away, it's going to take millions of years for the, the light, light to exactly. reach us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, one thing I remember, I don't remember if this was a, a video or something, but... I remember um, hearing that if, let's say, like an alien civilization, like 65 million light years away from us, were to build a giant telescope that can zoom in on our planet, right now, they would be receiving the light from our planet 65 million years ago when there were dinosaurs on Earth. Imagine if they could see the dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's yeah, not like possible, it, but it would be really cool. In their heads, they're thinking, oh, this planet is full of, like, giant reptiles and big <laughs> mosquitoes and stuff. <laughs> so let's not go there. They would have no idea what's actually going on in the present day. I know. That's the thing, right? Because it works both ways. We see it million years away. They see us million years, uh, million years ago, too. So just the universe is causality constant. Yeah, which kind of, like isolates us in time if you think about it because let's say another civilization let's say one million light years away from us they put a telescope on earth and we put a telescope on them they would see or like let's say humans popped up like before humans there's just nothing there's just plants and stuff let's say mm -hmm. and same thing for their planet if we both point a telescope at each other, we would just like think it's another like empty planet. Obviously, seeing like trees and stuff would be a really amazing discovery because you know plant life is still life. Mm -hmm. So that would be a crazy discovery if we found like forests and ecosystems on a different planet. 
but we wouldn't be able to see other intelligent life as you know i set up this this uh, scenario yeah because intelligent life uh, at the end of the day is incredibly hard to find which is i think right now our main goal pretty much in astronomy all over the world you know there's these seti programs and all kinds of research programs determined primarily to search for extraterrestrial life if we do find it that would be insane but the thing is we probably won't see people like us which i think a lot of people have that misunderstanding that you know like yeah. for all we know they don't even have to be carbon based life you know that's the big thing we think as of right now that carbon based life is the only way of living because that's how everything in the earth is but who knows maybe like you know a million light years away there's some planet that's still habitable where carbon is not the basis for life I mean, I don't know if that's possible. Maybe not with our sciences, but who knows? As far as we know, that's not possible, right? As as far as we know, of course, that's the thing. Our science limits us to even see the possibility. But the real question is, we never really know until we know, right? Yeah, something funny I heard. This was from Joe Rogan. It was like a a bit in his comedy sketch, and he says how like aliens have to exist because um, the U.S. built like this giant like. $400 million radio dish thing to send out signals and receive signals. It was probably for the SETI program, yeah. Yeah, but but he, this was his, his bit. He's like, okay, so you're telling me that the government is going to put $400 million into building uh, a radio dish that will send out a signal and it will just go into space and then let's say there's a planet at the nearest star. So they send a signal out. Wait, no. <laughs> I'm not remembering this right. I don't think... Because, uh, okay. Continue, continue. The, 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 the point of the bit is that they're like... If if they don't definitely know that um, alien life exists, it is absolutely pointless in investing all of this money into like this okay, huge Okay, okay, see, see, see. But I think here is where I think someone could come up with a counter-argument because the entire point, the entire purpose of science is to discover what hasn't been discovered or to invent something that hasn't been invented. Or now that we're focusing on the discovering part, we don't know that aliens exist. And the only way to do so will be to have sophisticated equipment or enough sophisticated equipment to discover them. Even if they are not there, we still have to at least have the best possible proof for our hypothesis. So the $400 million, I don't necessarily believe that we know aliens exist. I mean, yes, probability says that extraterrestrials definitely exist somewhere in the universe, 100%. I agree with that. But I don't think that it's because the U.S. put $400 million into this investment that they think for sure that there are aliens. Because I think the entire purpose of science is, as I said, to discover what hasn't been discovered yet. Well, the point, the point of like the joke is just the way he tells it. It's just hilarious. Okay, may, may, maybe it's something to do with that. Because, okay, if, for example, if you think about it, the Large Hadron Collider, right, didn't provide any successful results. They had to remake the entire thing. And then they found proof of the Higgs boson. So they got sophisticated, uh, sophisticated equipment with no proof that this thing exists. Had to pour millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into this experiment. And then it worked. 
So obviously the success came after they already poured all this money in. I think that's different. How is how is that different from the SETI program? Well, it's it's different because in particle physics, you like before they built the large hadron collider, they already knew stuff about particles you know they, well, they didn't have they to didn't know they theorized because even right now like you know supersymmetry and all of these crazy string theory and all these things that are still trying to be tested in the large hadron collider dark matter not even close to finding it but they're still spending millions of dollars on it running these experiments you know so it's not because they know that it exists because it's just that they're trying to find something even if it means that they're spending millions of dollars. Because I think every country in the world has a science budget, I guess, right? So pour all of it into these kind of research uh, equipments because it makes sense. Which is like the budget for like space exploration, I think like definitely in the U.S., is way way too small <laughs> oh 100 compared to their gdp 100 way too small no not even the gdp like compared to the budget for the army oh yeah i mean okay but that's kind of it's understandable tiny... though because america is like especially with trump on board i think they need a really good army you know what i mean i'm, I'm not trying to start a political yeah. debate but i'm just saying that i america's always known for its awesome army you know, they're always known as the powerhouse of the world, I guess. Again, not starting any political arguments. I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, the army isn't what's important. Oh, 100%. I think what's yeah, actually true, important true. is science. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what any science majors would say, right? <laughs> if you think about it, that's what any science major would say. It's just our perspective of things because we like it so much. Yeah, but it's not just that we like it. It's it's necessary to advanced, our way of life advanced, yeah. now mm -hmm. and you know finding whatever's next which is what you know curiosity is driving the human race obviously mm -hmm. because we're here talking from our homes over electronic waves in the air like who discovered that obviously a scientist mm -hmm. and whatever's going to come next is going to come from a scientist and we're just kind of, well, we're participating in it because we're going into mm -hmm. physics and math. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I discover something, <laughs> you discover something. That would be cool, but it's one in a million. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the whole Einstein thing is, I think it's more luck and coincidence. Like he was just, obviously he was a genius, but like right time, right place. He talked to the right people. That's got the true, right well. ideas yeah. and everything just came together perfectly mm -hmm. for him to come up with all of his theories that's and true it's it like i could be an absolute genius but just something doesn't go right in my life mm -hmm. and i'm not able to connect the dots and i just go unknown <laughs> for my entire career yeah that's that's but, that i mean that's unfortunately a possibility you know that that is and that's just sad to think about i i think I think, again, not straying it too much from astronomy, but I think that just the world in general right now has moved on to so much like social media stuff and all that kind of crazy stuff that people are into. Again, I kind of sound like a 40-year-old saying this, but <laughs> the world is not as interested in science as it was like 200, 300 years ago, you know, and that's just a fact. People were a lot more interested with advancing, you know, human race and stuff like that yeah. before, or at least, or at least, okay, maybe, maybe I shouldn't put it like that. I should put it like this. 
people were paying more attention to the people who were discovering these things. I think still like things are being discovered, really crazy things are happening in the science world. It's just that people don't know what's happening and it's not being advertised and no one really cares about it, you know, because some girls TikTok blue. So, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so that's just unfortunately the truth. I think that's like a double-edged sword. Science is that double-edged sword. I think, yeah, Anyways. yeah, I think so. <laughs> because I think so. you'll we'll invent something, it'll give the world too much comfort. Once the general population gets too comfortable, they just start ignoring everything else. Mm -hmm. They just say, you know what, like Netflix and <laughs> a comfy chair and a comfy bed that's all i need you are literally describing my setup <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's it's always important to stay curious and uncomfortable with what we know today and always push the boundaries yeah bringing the topic back to astronomy, astronomy exactly here's here's a fact that i don't know if a lot of people are aware of this but the moon is actually a product of a collision with the earth i think we spoke about this last time and did we i mean whatever whatever we can talk about it again why not anyways so yeah way back in the day something hit the earth and it, literally a chunk of the earth came out flew into space and then stayed in its orbit so the moon is actually just a big piece of the earth that over time just became you know circular or spherical and then stayed in in the gravitational pull of the earth yes sir and now as we know it i think we also mentioned this last time that um the moon is moving away from us every year at a rate of four inches a year or approximately four inches a year something like that something pretty crazy small but you know still moving away pretty cool yeah i, I think we definitely spoke about this last time because i was talking about tidal locking and stuff yeah, I definitely recommend everybody to buy a telescope because it's super cool to look at the moon at night. Mm -hmm. Like, y you have no idea, like, how much detail you can get from, like, a cheap telescope. Well, you know, cheap, I say, like, I think, like, $200 is, like, a good telescope. Mm -hmm. And you look at the moon and it feels so surreal because you're looking at the moon directly. Like, it's not a picture or a screen. You're just looking straight at the moon and it's so detailed and amazing that I, it's it's an experience that everyone should have. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now bringing it to a little more of the astronomy stuff, I think we can talk about um, something that we were continuing on to talk about last time, or I think I said I would mention it next time, how our sun or just in general, how stars die pretty much like what does their end of life look like well first off let's let's start it by how stars you know get born so usually what happens it's a hydrogen cloud in space so hydrogen is the most elementary molecule to exist in the universe one proton one electron as simple as that so because it's so easy to create there's usually a lot of it in the universe these clouds and clouds of hydrogen gas now, gravity, because it works with massive objects, what it does is it keeps piling up these hydrogen molecules together to make something pretty much gigantic or the size of a star until gravity has so much pressure over these hydrogen molecules that the center or the core of this not yet created star starts fusing together. 
and these hydrogen molecules start to create helium-4. Obviously, it's a longer process than that, but that's pretty much what happens. That's known as nuclear fusion. And uh, stars actually survive because of gravity mm -hmm. and because of the radiation that was initially produced by the proximity that was caused by gravity itself. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that at the surface of a star, it's a push and pull from gravity and radiation. So gravity is trying to bring everything to the center, but the radiation caused by all of these uh, reactions within the star and all of the particles pushes away. And we receive some of that radiation, obviously, from light and also solar wind mm -hmm. and um yes yeah, uh, i was just describing how like stars stay afloat you mm -hmm. know they don't just collapse automatically because of gravity mm -hmm. but the radiation actually is what gives it its its size and keeps it in a compact space yeah mm -hmm. yeah then pretty much that's what nuclear fusion is and the thing with our sun is that because it's not a crazy big star Right, And we're going to talk about crazy big stars later. But uh, because our sun is not a crazy big star, it doesn't have enough energy to continue fusing helium. Because usually what happens in big stars is helium gets fused to, uh, to lower and lower elements until it reaches iron. But in our sun, because it's small, there's nothing that really happens. And once the helium has run out and it can't fuse anymore, the sun just turns huge, pretty much, into something known as a planetary nebula where the hydrogen layers from the outside of the sun pretty much just dissipate into our solar system. When this happens, the sun will also grow to an extremely large size of a red giant star and actually engulf the earth, to which, sadly, we will, or a human race will be extinct by then, or hopefully we move on to another planet. Yeah, but that's pretty much how our sun will die. And after that, it will just become a white dwarf star, and then just fade away into nothing. But what actually happens to bigger stars mm -hmm. is that once the core fuses into a giant iron ball, what happens is that the radiation actually loses the battle to gravity. And everything just condenses into um, molecules and, and particles get so close together that there's no distinction between atoms. Like electrons and protons are being squished so close together that it's, I, I forget the name, but it's called like, like unknown matter or something like that, or like, or like goo or, I'll search up the name, but, um, the quark gluon plasma, uh, maybe you're not I'll talking just about that. Yeah. Maybe just search it up later. Continue. Yeah. So what happens is when gravity wins the battle, um, and this only happens for big stars, it'll basically collapse and explode and we can actually see these in the sky once in a while i think the last one was in the 20th century Super you can helpful. you can see these massive explosions in the sky well you know relatively massive obviously yeah. the, the whole night sky is not going to be like a giant uh, mushroom cloud but you'll see you'll see it at a distance a uh, colorful explosion of just stardust going mm -hmm. absolutely everywhere and what's going to be left is a neutron star which is super super dense and for for a comparison if you take one teaspoon 
of <clears throat> neutron star matter, it will have the same mass as Mount Everest. Yep, that's the famous one. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it absolutely blows your mind because ab- like even what I just said, you can't even really picture that. Mount Everest is absolutely massive (laughs) and all of that mass is condensed into the volume of a Mm. teaspoon and neutron stars are absolutely massive i think i think the average neutron star is about the size of a large city in manhattan yeah that's the perfect yeah that's usually the comparison that people do it's like kind of the size of manhattan so it's really like it's it's smaller than the moon it's mm-hmm. very, very small, but it spins really fast and it is more massive in terms of kilograms, mm-hmm. the mass, not size. It's more massive than our sun. Oh, much more massive, yeah. Yeah, because it comes from a star that is yeah. much, much bigger than our sun. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so actually continuing on neutron star is something really cool um, as well. So obviously I think one thing you forgot to mention is when it explodes, that explosion is called a supernova. Uh, you've definitely heard of it, but it's that, that, that's the huge explosion. Once again, won't be able to see it really well, but with a telescope, if you point it at the right direction, you might be able to at the right time, of course. But so the interesting thing with these neutron stars is that some of these neutron stars, so obviously the reason it's called neutron star is because 90% of it is pure neutrons because the electrons and protons are pretty much fused together leaving the neutrons with the 10% of the protons and electrons creating the magnetic and electric field. So, interesting thing about a neutron star. Sometimes if the star, the parent star, is so massive that even the neutron star becomes crazy massive, there is a possibility that gravity takes over again and further collapses the neutron star into one of the most awesome objects in the universe, the black hole. <laughs> so this actually happens not very often because they're usually with pretty gigantic stars. Because with very tiny black holes, the problem is they can just evaporate immediately because of something known as Hawking radiation. But with bigger black holes, they usually stay for a very long time. For example, our Milky Way has a black hole at the center of it that we have very recently spotted, known as Sagittarius A. Yeah, and uh, one thing that I always like to picture in my head, in the part one of the astronomy episode, Ray described how uh, curved space-time can be seen as like a, like a sheet, and you place a ball in it, and then it curves the sheet. When you have a black hole, the sheet gets curved, or, yeah, the, the sheet gets curved so much that it's like it's like dividing by zero, pretty much. It's basically breaking the sheet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it, it stretches the sh- the sheet infinitely far down. Mm-hmm. It, it stretches the sheet so far down that if you fall into it, right, you'll never get out. And I think we mm-hmm. talked about this the also. Event the event horizon. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something really cool as well, where it was actually first discovered that this was a possibility. This is really interesting. So. After Einstein released his general, uh, his general relativity field equations, which was a huge hit, Schwarzschild was actually the first person to solve it. And I think I did mention this, known as the Schwarzschild metric, right? And something that he discovered, now this was a huge discovery that no one believed. Because Schwarzschild, after he made his huge Schwarzschild metric, 
he discovered that there can be an area of space-time or an area of space that has infinite curvature. Now, how the hell is that possible? How can there be infinite curvature? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. But what he had discovered unknowingly was the first mathematical proof of a singularity, which is what all black holes have. At the center, at the utmost utmost bottom of the black hole, we have a singularity that has zero dimensions, infinite density, infinite pressure, infinite curvature, everything pretty much. It's As Parker said, it's pretty much like dividing by zero. It's just crazy to think about. Yeah, and something that's pretty interesting about black holes, I, I don't remember if uh, these two things are the same, but the event horizon and the radius. Schwarzschild yeah. radius, the Schwarzschild radius is the closest distance you can be from the center of the black hole where light can escape. So I think... I think it's pretty much the same as the event horizon, except instead of the point of no return, it's like the closest point that light will curve mm-hmm. into the black Isn't hole. Isn't it just the radius of the event horizon? No, because if it is, then what you're saying is still true. Because like it's the point at which the light will curve, and if it goes deeper, it can't go deeper. Like What you're saying is still true. I'm just saying, isn't, it, isn't the Schwarzschild radius just the radius of the event horizon? Because the event horizon is like an imaginary circle. Okay, I'm just Googling <laughs> I'm, I mean, this. I'm pretty sure, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is the same thing. Okay, okay, perfect. Schwarzschild radius and event horizon are the same thing. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So event horizon so, is, Yeah, another yeah. way of, of picturing that is photons that are emitted from the observer's direction mm-hmm. can be curved on the Schwarzschild radius, can be curved all the way around the black hole and reflected back to the observer. Mm-hmm. So they'll be able, like, around the the closest ring around the black hole, they'll be able to see light emitted from their direction. Believe it or not, if you want to actually see a really good image of the black hole, I mean, obviously you can just search up the one that we got, but if you want to see what it would really look like, believe it or not, interstellar, exactly. Because it was directed <laughs> or helped directed by what a Nobel prize winning physicist. So he knew what he was doing, you know? So the black hole, that black hole in that animation is actually the closest, most perfect animated black hole that we have. Be- or, I, I mean, obviously not counting like, you know, supercomputers and stuff like that. I'm just saying in like a movie industry or the best way to understand what a black hole would look like and how light would curve around it. Interstellar actually has a really good description because I remember when yeah. I first saw the interstellar black hole I did not think that was like realistic. I thought that's just animation, you know But then I searched yeah. it up and it actually is very realistic. Yeah, and the reason it looks so weird It looks kind of like you take a ring and then you bend it upwards mm. around a black sphere and the reason that happens is because um, Because the black hole can curve light what happens is that the back, like if you have a ring and it's horizontal, the back side of the ring, the photons will actually curve up and like the curve towards the observer. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that it seems as if the ring is like half horizontal, half vertical, but it's just kind of an illusion 
like a result of the bending of the light. And the craziest thing is when you uh, revolve around a black hole, orbit around a black hole. Like, I think, I don't know if that's done in Interstellar. Um, I mean, I've seen a long time ago. I don't exactly remember. But I think they definitely showed some light bending. But if you mm -hmm. were to definitely able to search up, like, orbit around black hole animation or something on YouTube, you'll definitely be able to see it. And it's super cool because the light is just all messed up. You know, you have no idea where what is coming from. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, it's really hard to understand because as i said it's like dividing by zero it's mm -hmm. it's kind of like a, a physical representation of dividing by zero so when you're looking at it it's it's really hard to understand what's actually happening but it's just kind of like a projection into our eyes of what a singularity looks like it's mainly because just around a black hole space time itself is just so massively curved Again, the, mm -hmm. the infinite curvature is only at the singularity, but even around the black hole, it's really, space is just completely curved. And the light that you see, the thing is, you don't actually know where or which part of the black hole it's coming from. You know, so that's also the really cool part. Because I think they also showed in Interstellar when they go close, they can like see, you know, galaxy reflections and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just yeah. a really cool sight to look at, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I just thought of, um, like, the spaghetti effect. Oh, spaghettification. Yeah, which is um, when you get close to a black hole, what happens is that the gravitational pull at your feet is going to be much higher than the gravitational pull at your head. So what's happening is that the, the particles at your feet are being accelerated faster than the particles at your head but because your body is continuous like stretches out and you like every object that you'd throw into a black hole would like spaghettify <laughs> if that's <laughs> the right word name. to use believe it or not that's the actual technical term spaghettification yeah. but you know by the point by the time you get to the point of spaghettification you're already dead you know there's no way you're going to be able to to experience your body spaghettifying but it's just something that happens when you get close to a black hole i also mentioned this before i just keep forgetting what i've mentioned before but i think i have i'll say it again anyways it's always better to go into a bigger black hole because the bigger the black hole the slower you die right pretty much and the bigger the black hole also if it's rotating then there's an outer event horizon and an inner event horizon so you also How is have... that better though? Sorry? You said it's better to go into a big one because you die slower. Why would you want to die slower? Because I don't know if you want to like take some nice pictures, send it to your boys, you know? I don't know. As <laughs> if you have the time to do that. I mean, that's, no, that's what I'm trying to say. You have time. In a big, or the bigger the black hole, the slower you reach the singularity and therefore like the slower, you know, you die pretty much. But in a tiny okay, so, black hole, you pretty much immediately So you have die. more time to feel the pain of your entire exactly, body collapsing. Exactly. <laughs> Not that it's a good thing. I'm just saying that it's it just should be taken down. If you're if you're writing notes on this podcast, you might want to take this down. But <laughs> what happens if uh, what happens if you go into the black hole and then you pop out of a white hole? In oh, the middle of <laughs> the middle of deep space, and you're that, like, okay, that will be insane. I, that's actually, you know what? We should actually have another podcast on black holes and actually talk about this. <laughs> I'm not even joking because this black hole, white hole paradox and stuff is really cool. 
Like we we can actually yeah. talk about it. Yeah, for for the people who don't know, a white hole is the opposite of a black hole. It's instead of instead of uh, attracting things, you're it's repulsing mm-hmm. matter into the universe, and it's kind of to balance yeah. out the effects of black holes. But we haven't we haven't found one yet, right? Yeah, no, we haven't because the thing is the only possible logical way for its existence would be to be literally on the other side of a black hole. Because if a white hole were to exist that just continues expelling matter, it will instantaneously become a black hole. Because if any star expels all of its matter, you know, what's going to happen is it's going to turn into a black hole. But So, so that's yeah. the paradox, right? That's the paradox that it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. That's why a white hole can't live without a black hole. But a black hole can but supposedly live by itself. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Aren't white holes, like, mathematically and, like, physically necessary to exist in the universe? Like, necessary? Like, not necessary, but kind of in the same way that black holes exist. Like, black holes exist because, like, that's just how the universe is. And I feel like it's the same way for white holes. Like, they, they just have to exist because you know because of the physical circumstances that we are living in right now yeah because they don't actually have to exist because see in general relativity theoretically they do exist yeah they 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 could exist but in reality in real space as i said it's just not a possibility because the second the white hole forms it will turn into a black hole so there's no as i said there's no real way of this thing existing without it being on the supposed quote unquote other side of the black hole right it's 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 yeah. a mathematical description because how they do it if i'm not mistaken i might need to fact check this i may put it in the description if i'm wrong or something but i think white holes are created like mathematically speaking where they take a black hole and pretend like there's no mass I think on the black hole or on the event horizon, something like that. And that's how they calculate a white hole's probability of existing. So that's one way huh. of doing it. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mm. definitely check online and make sure that this is right. But I think it is. And we've already reached 36 minutes. Yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty far into this one. So we will cut it off here. Let us know. Comment wherever it's possible to comment uh, if you want a part three of uh, the astronomy episodes because you know we're always down to talk about whatever so let Mm -hmm. us know also if you if you actually want to you can always comment topics you want us to talk about because we love everything math and physics what we can do is we can actually give them uh, our email address like our math physics email address so that people can just email us if they have any ideas we can put our email in the description. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So this has been the 14th episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we will see you soon. See ya.